morning, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Good to be with you. I mentioned uh, earlier today that I was I spent a little time with uh, Marcus Peter, who is uh, a theology professor at Father Gabriel Richard High School. He's working on his doctorate, focusing on blood covenant. And you may know him because he has done a series of Lenten and Advent reflections for Ave Maria Radio, and, and he's guest hosted on this program uh, a few times. I'm glad to say he's now the host of a brand new program called Unveiling the Covenants, and uh, it's airing at Saturday, 11 a.m. and Sunday, 9.30 a.m. Uh, on Ave Maria Radio's um, Michigan stations. And, uh, well, actually, I asked him either to tell you what he's doing. It's an exploration of covenant history, which is really salvation history. Marcus, good to have you with me. Thank you, Al. It's always an honor to be on your show. Let's let's talk a little bit about this. Um, by the way, I enjoyed this morning uh, with you, or earlier this afternoon with you. It was nice. Thank you. I enjoyed it, too. It's always a joy for us to share hearts and just be able to expound the beauty of sacred scripture yeah. from the heart of the church. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's talk about the program, because it has a particular uh, point, uh, unveiling the covenants. That's what it's about. Right. I can remember when it first dawned on me that Scripture, for all of its, quote, diversity, all of its different authors, all the different times uh, it's been written, all the different literary forms that it has, that is held together by this idea of covenant. And um, you really don't grasp salvation history if you don't grasp this idea of covenant. Absolutely. tell us, what's covenant? So, on its fundamental framework, a covenant is where a greater king espouses himself to lower recipients. We've got the terminology that you know, suzerain and vassal, right? Mm -hmm, In Near Eastern Eastern history as well as theology. But to put it in very simple terms, especially in scripture, it is where God condescends himself to unite his intellectual creature, man, to himself in a family bond. And so what he does is, by means of different covenant mediators throughout Scripture, continue to reveal himself in a greater, more faithful, much deeper, more intimate way so that he can train his children to truly become covenant children. Because the thing about God is he's not just interested in having them worship him from afar. He wants his lowly creatures to be elevated, to become partakers of his divine nature. Mm. And that's what the covenants achieve. The covenants are God pouring his life out into man that he may espouse all of creation to himself. And there's a forward motion in the covenants. They're pointing forward to increased intimacy and greater expansion. Uh, So I want to run through what are the covenants that you cover. So the the framework that we will be using for this entire program is that there are six main biblical covenants mm-hmm. and you know i as a mnemonic device i tell everyone god creates in six days and he hallows on the seventh so god essentially recreates humanity through six biblical major covenants and he hallows them with an eternal elevation if you will a hallowing in the the heavenly jerusalem so what are the six covenants we start with the covenant with adam the creation covenant adam we both know fails the covenant miserably and yet god doesn't write him off right right <laughs> and let's be grateful for that <laughs> so what god does is he establishes the 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 covenant nonetheless and he establishes the framework of blood sacrifice by by virtue of the fact that adam's sin 
sin, the wages of sin is death. So something has to die so that the covenant bond can be restored. And we'll cover more on, on that in Unveiling the Covenant. So you've got the Adamic covenant, and the framework is a marriage between bride and bridegroom. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot deeper once we go to Noah, because now we see that the covenant with Noah in Genesis 9 doesn't just contain Noah and his bride. It contains his three sons right. and their three brides. So now you've got eight people. It's no longer just a married couple. It's a family. Family, yeah. It gets deeper still because when we take a look at the covenant forged with Abraham, everyone seems to think Abraham and Sarah, or Sarai, then she becomes Sarah, they're just wandering nomads by themselves. The truth is, if you read sacred scripture, Abraham was in command of a couple of thousand people. Yeah, that's right. He was. <laughs> he was yeah. chieftain of a tribe. Mm-hmm. And so when Abraham was covenanted to Yahweh, his entire tribe was covenanted to Yahweh. So from married couple, we go to family, and it's grown now to tribe, right? Mm -hmm, And then it gets deeper because after Abraham, God uses Moses to espouse an entire nation of Israel. Yeah. In in the in Exodus, right? Specifically, you're going to see this uh, in Exodus 20. But then, uh, and you know, there's the golden calf incident, and then he reenacts the covenant uh, bond with them. But uh, the entire nation of Israel is espoused to God, and then it gets deeper still because God doesn't stop there. He reiterates a covenant bond this time with David. Second yes. Samuel seven. You're going to see this from verse like 11 and following. But I think the real the, the real clincher is in verse 19, if I'm remembering correctly. It's, it's that God will espouse. God will establish with you a household. It's either 11 or 19. And so with that, we see that the nation has now been elevated into a kingdom. And that kingdom was far larger than that nation before. That's right. Yeah. God doesn't stop there. If we're tracking this pattern, it's been getting bigger and bigger. The only thing that can be bigger than a single kingdom, all the kingdoms of the world. Right. So when Jesus comes along and he establishes the new and eternal covenant, what he does is he espouses all creation to himself. This is the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be shed for you and for all mankind. The beautiful thing is because Jesus is God, his covenant is not limited by the temporal stipulations of the time. Everything that he does has bearings going all the way back to Adam, going all the way forward to the last man who will ever live. So Christ's covenant is truly the new and eternal covenant and the family is universal. Fun fact. The word universal in Greek? <laughs> Catholic. It's Catholic, yeah. It's the Catholic covenant. Um, this, this is uh, beautiful, and it's important to keep in mind, because um, actually I, I had a listener write this to me, uh, said, look, uh, Adam failed to keep the covenant. Uh, Noah failed. Uh, you know, Abraham failed. Uh, Moses and the children of Israel failed. And David failed. What makes you think? that this new covenant is going to be able to gain any ground over the old covenant. But what's new about the new covenant is that both parties keep it. It's the first time that (laughs) both parties keep it. Jesus is the, again, the human uh, recipient of the covenant, you Mm -hmm. might say, or he's the last Adam. And so this is why St. Paul had such high expectations of the baptized in yep. their mystical union with Christ. Yep. He, they were not an evil, evil and adulterous generation, crying, um, you know, uh, grumbling and grousing at the Meribah and Massa. Yep. You know, no, uh, you are bright stars yep. to an evil and adulterous generation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because the wonders of the covenant is that it truly establishes us into a family bond in such a way, Al, that my relationship with you, because we are children of the covenant, is 
metaphysically, supernaturally far more intimate than the blood bond I share with my parents yeah, and the blood bond I share with my siblings. Yeah. Because divine blood, which has truly been shed for us, God was not satisfied with legal adoption. He wanted to adopt us by blood, and he truly shed his blood for that reason. And that has effectively done away with the need for animal blood. So by virtue of that, the fact is, this is the first and only time that a covenant will be such that God has established it, and man is eternally going to keep it. Why? Because the mediator of that covenant lives eternally. And he continues to mediate the covenant from the heavenlies. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Uh, uh, you know, there's that passage, uh, Matthew chapter 12, around verse 27, where Jesus uh, uh, is asked about his mother and brother. And uh, he says, well, who is my mother and brother? And he says, it's those who keep the word of God yeah. and do it. Uh, the point being that the bond that those of us who are through faith and uh, baptism united with Christ, uh, the bond that we have, as you pointed out, is stronger than even the blood, human blood bonds that we have, the natural biological family. Uh, and that's something to keep in mind, yep. that our placement within the church is... Uh, it transcends the family bond. Of course, if you have both, uh, you know, natural family that's uh, are baptized, then it's all the better. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yep. But, but uh, we we can never forget baptism is uh, points to a stronger blood bond than physical blood and family. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's like you just mentioned, that's a wonderful thing when your biological family is also your covenant yes. family. And and this brings greater implications for discerning marital spouses and and yeah. dis- discerning the way yeah. children are to be raised. Yeah. When when we understand that there is an eternal onus and impetus placed upon the fact that we are members of the covenant. This is a gift that's been given to us and we must steward it properly. This is not just about me fulfilling my loneliness. Yeah. This is about what God hopes for my salvation and how he achieves it by means of the covenant bond that he has given to me. You know, I um, I, I married, uh, I was 26 uh, years old when I married. And I am so grateful that I uh, had... It was an active Christian at that time, wasn't uh, a Catholic. But uh, I don't know what it would be like uh, and to have a spouse who didn't share with me uh, that sense of union with Christ. And it, it would be tough. It would be, I think it would be very difficult. And I'm sympathetic to, you know, people who are, quote, alone in the spirit uh, in their marriage. That, that is very difficult. But um, it is important to I I believe it's important to marry someone who not only is a, a, a fellow Catholic, uh, but somebody who has a sense of min- mission with you mm-hmm. as well. Now I know not everybody has a clear sense of particular calling. They're called to marriage in general, and that's fine. That's good. But sometimes people do have a sense of personal uh, calling, and. If, if that's the case, then your spouse really ought to share it. Yep. I mean, that's why we have deacons and deacons' wives working yep. together. The church made that clear. Yep, the church you know. made that very clear. And, you know, you take a look at men like you, married to Sally, and me, married to my bride. Yeah. 
our bride's married evangelist. Yeah, and they knew it. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we didn't, it wasn't we, a surprise. No, like from day one, when they met us, they knew, okay, so we know we're getting into this. Yeah. You know, there was no, no big surprise there, right? And because of that, Al, I, you would say their mission is our mission because our mission is their mission. Now. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Because we share in the covenantal mission of Christ. Amen. Marcus, wonderful talking with you again. Again, people, it's Saturday, uh, 11 a.m., Sunday, 9.30 a.m. on the uh, uh, Ave Maria stations uh, in Michigan right now. We hope it'll expand. Right. Good being with you. Thanks. Thank you, Al.